Seven, seven. Shotgun snap. Brock Purdy airing it out. Deep for Debo in the end zone. Makes the catch on the right side of the end zone for the touchdown. 27 yards from Brock Purdy to Debo Samuel. And San Francisco may have just put it away. Up 29 to 12 with 5.58 to go. If there was any doubt, and there wasn't really much before that moment, that was the dagger. That was the instant. That was the epiphany, if one was needed. That the 49ers were the better team than the Giants. The 49ers moved to 3-0 and with three straight 30-point games. And the Giants, although they hung around, it never felt like they had a real chance to win. It was just how respectable can they make it. And at the end of the day, not very, because the spread was 10 and a half and they lost by 18. And with that, I say good morning, Peter King. We're here for two hours of PFT Live. What was your first knee-jerk reaction to what we saw last night? Well, my first reaction after listening to that clip is that the play-by-play man said that may have been the dagger. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) come on. (laughs) May have been the dagger. I mean... You think the Giants are scoring three touchdowns in the last five minutes of a game that they could get nothing done all day? And look, I don't blame Daniel Jones. I just want to start with one point about the Giants. Daniel Jones, basically, for the, for the first 12 quarters of this year, I, 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 think it's, I think it's wrong to say he's been running for his life at all times, but he had no chance last night. You know, the New York Giants have spent a jillion dollars on their offensive line, and this just in, it hasn't worked. And obviously, you're missing Andrew Thomas, and that hurts. But, so that's my take on the Giants. My take on the San Francisco 49ers is that when I sat in the office of John Lynch, uh, whenever it was, a month ago, five weeks ago, I asked him, Man, Javon Hargrave, you spent a jillion dollars on him with all the stuff you're going to need to spend in the next couple of years. And he just said, you know, we entered this offseason without thinking that we'd ever go into a big ticket item on our defense. But we decided, uh, Kyle Shanahan said, I remember what our defense was like in 2019. And when you have a defense like that, even if you have problems at other, on other parts of your team, you are going to be in every game. And that's what I thought of last night when Hargrave sacked Jones, when Nick Bosa was buzzing around him the whole night. And I just thought, if you have two or three, you had Eric Armstead, you had a, you know, Fred Warner when he comes, uh, Dre Greenlaw, this team right now, is going to be a load for anybody to block for four quarters. That's all there is to it. This is the 49ers of 2019. And Mike, I understand that it's going to be a problem in 2024 and 2025 when you've got to figure some way to get Brandon Ayuk signed, when eventually you're going to have to sign a quarterback to a market contract. I get it. 
But all I know is this year, right now, today, after I watched that game last night, this is a defense that is going to be really, really good and hard to stop all year. And, you know, they've got to keep Debo Samuel upright. That's all I can say. Because that catch he made in the, on the pylon in the end zone, he, he is a great physical player. I loved how Amazon last night picked out the Mark Bavaro rumbling, bumbling, stumbling catch you know, more than three decades ago when he bowled over a bunch of 49ers and carried Ronnie Lott for seven yards because that's exactly what Debo Samuel does. And the 49ers were wise. Instead of just drafting a bunch of speed guys, they drafted physical receivers because I think, Mike, that is where the NFL is right now. Speed guys can get hurt more easily than the guys who are billed and weigh 223. And so that, to me, I thought last night, even though the Giants are not a great test for a really good team right now, I thought the 49ers did well on both offense and defense to show that they are going to be here and they are going to be a problem for everybody in 2023. One thing you said about the salary cap situation in the future with guys they're going to have to pay. Earlier this week, General Manager John Lynch pointed out that they're going to roll over the $40 million in cap space they currently have available, the most of anyone right now. That's going to kick to future years, as every team can automatically do. And so they'll have that extra cushion, and the cap keeps going up and up and up, and the good teams find a way to make it all work. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions. After 2019, I can't remember whether it was 2020 or 2021 when they traded DeForest Buckner to the Colts, but you got to make some tough decisions because you can't pay everyone, but they're paying who they need to pay and the guys who are there are getting it done. And you throw in that ability to draft guys, and Chris and I talk about this all the time, Peter. They have a knack for finding guys who will roll out of bed and run through a wall, and they don't need to practice tackling. They don't need someone to access a switch somewhere inside of them and flip it, they flip it themselves when they roll out of bed. And it's Debo Samuel, it's George Kittle, it's Christian McCaffrey, it's everyone on the defense. There's no hesitation. That's one of the things that Kyle Shanahan preaches, no hesitation. It's very sudden. You see the ball carrier, you go put him on the ground. You have the ball, you see someone trying to bring you down, you run through them and keep going. My only concern is this, because the Debo Samuel touchdown catch came after he fought for extra yardage, came down hard on the ball, was holding his midsection as if he was really injured, and there was a concern, there was a gasp, there was a sense that, uh uh-oh, that that effort to get every last drop that you can out of every play can make you more susceptible to that finish to the play that may make it harder for you to get up. And they play that way all the time. George Kittle plays like that. Every play is fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. Every play is get as much yardage as I can and fight and fight and fight and fight. And you just wonder what the limit of that is. If you push it just a little too far, if you go just a little too hard, if you don't just go down and live to fight another play, that determination that they show, which is so admirable, is the kind of thing that can get somebody hurt because they are constantly 
stressing their body to get every last inch of grass they can. Well, Mike, remember Franco Harris? And he used to get a lot of criticism in his career, especially, you know, maybe in years three, four, five, where people would basically look at him many times and think, well, that's not the Steeler way. This guy's not fighting for every yard. Well, you know, and Franco Harris would sort of subtly say, I'm here every Sunday. And his point being, essentially, that I am going to be available for 16 games every year after they went to 16 games in 1978. But I'm going to be available for 16 games every year. And, Mike, I, I thought of the exact same thing last night when Debo Samuel was, was laying on the ground. I thought, I think there needs to be, for the 49ers, sort of a, a Tua class, okay? And by that I mean, what did Tua Tagovailoa do in this offseason? What he did was he learned how to fall. You know, he learned how to avoid some of those crushing big hits that end up with his head smacking on the ground and him being concussed. And look, I'm not saying that the 49ers need to change their way. The 49ers are a physical rolling ball of butcher knives. I get it. But what I am saying is that there are times, and, and again, I know this is going to sound counter Kyle, but there are times when you're far ahead in the fourth quarter of a game where you have to tell your body and you've got to tell your switch. I was glad to see them take uh, Christian McCaffrey out of the game late because he doesn't need to be running in a game that has already been decided. And so I think you have to sort of differentiate between the time that you're in a game and people are going to say, oh, can't do that, can't turn the switch off, can't flip from being all go to 80% go. I, I, I think you can, you know, and I think, the 49ers probably should, as well as, you know, not playing uh, a guy like uh, Christian McCaffrey every snap in a game, even if it is a close game. You know, you need that guy desperately. He has an injury history. Now, he has not missed a game since, you know, since what, 2021 now. So he's reversing the trend. But I think you need to just be a little bit cautious in a season like this uh, of when you play as physically as the 49ers do. You know, give those guys a blow and make sure that they're going to be there for 17 weeks. And it's not that McCaffrey is prone to injury. It is that the position he plays is extra conducive to getting players injured as we saw on Monday night when Nick Chubb is just carrying the ball and he's being tackled and somebody comes in low that's what happens when you are carrying the ball you get hit from every possible angle and you potentially get injured and every play you kind of hold your breath with McCaffrey he had a reduced snap count last night he was only on the field for 61 percent of the offense 51 plays he had played every snap on Sunday and I thought he would be not used as heavily last night on that short week after every snap against the Rams but he still had 23 touches Peter he's averaging 24 a game 
He's had 25, 23, and 23 now. So he's still got his work in in those 61 snaps. Yeah. 60 or 51 on the field 51 times and touched the ball 23 of the 51 times he was on the field. I mean, that's amazing. And when he didn't have the ball, they praised him at one point for throwing a block when somebody else was running the ball. So this guy, you, the problem is there is no switch. You can't turn it off with these guys. You just have to know when to get them out of the game. And Kyle Shanahan said in the aftermath of the Steeler game, when he had guys, key players on the field, late in what you know was a 30 to 7 thumping when do you get those guys off the field and Kyle pointed to week one of the 2021 or I think it was 21 season when they were up big over the Lions and the Lions came storming back like when is it truly over when can you comfortably say we're calling off the dogs now last night after that touchdown that may have been the dagger we saw Tyrod Taylor come in for Daniel Jones so it was over but when, as the 49ers, if you're making quick work and easy work of these opponents and scoring 30 a game, when do you say, enough, we got to get these guys out of there because they can't turn it off, so we have to get them out. We can't turn off the light, so we just got to take the light over here and keep it safe. Yeah, and I mean, that's a question I think that I'm sure Kyle Shanahan is loath to ask his team and to talk about internally. And I'm sure part of him is going to say, heck no, we're not going to do it. But Brandon Ayuk did not play last night. That does not help the San Francisco 49ers. Now, the good thing for them and, and Mike, you know, <clears throat> this is such an interesting question because I think 94% of the players in the NFL would say, I hate the Thursday night game. And it's just not time enough for our bodies. And I respect what those guys think, obviously. But there are also a, I wouldn't say a silent minority, because in training camp this year, Jason Kelsey talked openly to me about how he loves the Thursday night games. And he told me, he goes, listen, it's great. We don't practice in the days before the game. All you do is you have glorified a glorified walkthrough or two. And then in the middle of a season that is just an, a Batan death march, and I, those are my words, not his, you know, you have three days, and in some cases four, depending on who your coach is, that you are given that you can just go somewhere. You can be away, that you don't have to be at the facility at 7.30 in the morning, you know, and stay there all day. And so I do think there is part of the Thursday night game that some players like in, in terms of the extra time off and all that. And in this particular case, I bring it up mostly because now Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey have three or four days with zero activity. And of course, McCaffrey is, is a nutty workout guy, so he'll do some things. And obviously, they're going to get treatment and all that. But essentially, mini buys uh, it, during the season, I think some guys like it because it allows them 
first of all, to miss one complete week of practice and then to have three or four additional days where you're doing nothing. And I think some players like that. Well, and you said the number 94%, and I know you were just kind of pulling out a rough estimate yeah. to make the point. Yeah. I think the real number is a lot lower than that. Back when there was an actual debate about short week football, before it was so clear that it's here to stay, it's not going anywhere, it's going to be one of the features and facets of the NFL schedule every single year, I would, when talking to players, ask them, and I got – Something close to 50-50. I was surprised at how many were like, yeah, it's easy. That does Monday, Tuesday, me. Wednesday at practice. And we have and we have a mini buy on the back end. It's not as demanding. Yeah, we got to play three days earlier than we would have. But the workload in advance isn't as stressful on the body. And we have that extra time off. I don't know if you saw earlier in the week where Kyle Shanahan talked about what a mess it is to get your team ready for Thursday night. When you're a coach who spends a lot of time studying film, crafting a game plan specifically aimed at attacking the weaknesses in the defense you'll be facing, and you have to take a six-day window and scrunch it down to three, that creates an issue from a coaching standpoint and a quality standpoint. That's one of the things the NFL never talks about. When you expect teams to play with three fewer days in between games, you make it harder for the coaches to whip up the best possible schemes right. and plans to have the best possible game. Not that it affected the 49ers last night. Oh, and they get to do it twice this year. They're one of the teams that got the the short straw for the short week two times. We'll have them Thanksgiving night on NBC against the Seattle Seahawks. So uh, two times that'll happen. So they got one early. They got one later. And then there's that possibility of a flex I don't think it applies to them since they already have two and I don't think the league is going to do it this year but who knows but you could find out that you didn't expect a short week and you got a short week but it's here to stay it's here to stay the point is this it's all the more important to know when to get those guys out of the game on a short week in advance of that 10 days because that's you know as you're probing for flaws with the 49ers one of the flaws is some of these key guys are going to get hurt because they do treat yeah. every snap and every time they have the ball like they're trying to score a touchdown on the final drive of the Super Bowl. And there is a point where you just got to get down because it's that, that last extra bit that can get you injured, and that doesn't help anybody. And I think we agree on that 100%. I'm con- concerned about one other area of the team. And I, I just still don't know what to make of Brock Purdy. And I've seen some criticism of the deep ball accuracy. And last night he was off on some throws. Let's have a listen to Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the 49ers, on his assessment of Brock Purdy from start to finish last night. Slow start, got it done. Let's hear what Shanahan thought. Yeah, you know, he missed a couple today. And guys made a couple of real good catches also. Um, but, you know, I thought it was just a huge challenge. One of the biggest ones Brock's been in just to, you know, the short week to prepare for a scheme like that. Um, just how much they do with, you know, they had six guys on the line of scrimmage throughout the game. Um, half the time they're coming, half the time they're not. Uh, there's not a, a comfortable play throughout a game, you know, f- from a play call standpoint and from the quarterback just because there's a lot of plays that don't work versus that. And so you got to constantly be looking at it. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, which is a huge challenge for a quarterback. And um, I thought he settled down throughout it as the game went and ended up playing good enough for us to win. 
He had over 300 yards passing for the first time in a regular season game, 310 on 37 throws and 25 completions. I was surprised by this stat. He dropped back to pass 39 times, Peter. The Giants blitzed 33. According to Next Gen Stats, as far back as they go, that's the most any defense has ever blitzed in any game, 33 out of 39 snaps. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you know, when I see that, Mike, and first of all, I have great respect. I work with the people from Next Gen Stats, and they are really terrific. But that surprises me. It didn't seem like that last night. And maybe that's a fairly good sign that the 49ers were blocking them up for much of the night. But I I think I would just say this. I've noticed this about, in particular, about Brock Purdy. Okay? And that is, you know how in the NFL, it's either, Bill Parcells once coined this phrase. He said, you know, I try to stay off the roller coaster because with you guys, meaning the media, every week it's either euphoria or disaster. And you almost notice it now, not week by week, but series by series. You know, if you were on social media last night, which I was occasionally monitoring the game and watching the game, doing the second screen, I mean... The, the level of angst and worry about Brock Purdy. I mean, look, he threw two touchdown passes that were beautiful throws just dropped in a bucket. You know, one to Debo and one to the young guy number 10. I'm sorry, I forget his name. But one to number Ronnie 10 Bell. at the front. Yeah, at the front pylon on the left side was absolutely fantastic. Two great throws, and yet all I'm hearing, all I'm reading, oh boy, Brock Purdy, he's 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 sketchy. He's, you know, I don't know about Brock Purdy. Listen, <clears throat> all I know is this. Brock Purdy has played over three quarters in 11 football games in his NFL career, and he's 11-0. So... I understand people are hesitant and people are not sure about Brock Purdy and and I get it and he does need to continue to prove himself. But I I think it's ridiculous the amount of skepticism week to week. Well, I still don't know. Last pick in the draft. Watch the games. And yes, he missed some throws last night. Some very hittable throws. Uh, and, and again, that's what happens with quarterbacks sometimes. It really does. And you know that. So I guess the way I look at this, Mike, is I think the 49ers are in great shape with Brock Purdy. Fantastic shape. And for those who would say, well, he got hurt last year. You know, got hurt on a fluky play. Hurt his elbow. That's the way life goes. Played 47 games in a Power 5 conference where the vast majority of those games, the talent on the defensive side of the ball was better than their talent, you know, and at, at Iowa State. So I guess the way I look at this is I know everybody wants to keep saying, well, this is a big test for Rock Purdy. That's a big test. What test hasn't he passed other than 
you, you know, hurting his elbow against, uh, you know, against the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm not worried about Brock Purdy at all. I have three points to make, and I will make them as succinctly as I can. First of all, as to the elbow injury and ensuing surgery, and I believe I echo a comment that was made by Al Michaels after Amazon showed the very graphic graphic of the surgical procedure where the incision in the elbow and the opening of the body. Please give someone a warning. Some of us are eating food while we're watching the game, (laughs) and we don't need to see a video depiction of someone's arm being sliced and opened so we can see what's inside. (laughs) Thank you very much. Some of us were eating chicken wings last night, and it's a a little bit too graphic on the graphic when you're eating chicken wings and things are being cut open and we're seeing bones and tendons and stuff. Second, there's this vibe around the 49ers quarterbacks, and and it's just dumb luck, but – They feel cursed. So I think if I'm a 49ers fan, I'm always worried about something because something always happens with a quarterback, whether it's an injury or whether it's a a fluky thing in the worst possible moment. And with Purdy, we saw it last year. Everything was great. Everything was great. Oh, okay, Purdy, QB3. He's, hey, he's winning games, and here we go, an NFC championship. And my God, we can actually beat the Eagles, and boom, there it is. So I feel like they're always holding their breath a little bit. I think the 49ers, Peter, are the ultimate hold-your-breath team. For the reasons we've already discussed with these ultra-violent runs where you're, you're fighting and scratching and clawing and you just are going to get hurt at some point. And then you got a quarterback issue. And when's he going to get injured? Because they always seem to get injured. And you're constantly, if you're a 49ers fan, everything's great and you're constantly holding your breath for what's going to come next. And the last point is this. At some point, Brock Purdy's going to have to make a big throw in a big spot. I don't care about him missing throws in the, fourth, in the first quarter. That happens. Everybody does from time to time. What I care about is when that moment arrives, like Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of Super Bowl 54, after the Chiefs take the lead and Emmanuel Sanders is open and Garoppolo misses him. Not that that's the easiest throw in the world, but Sanders was open and Garoppolo missed him. There's going to be an occasion like that against a great quarterback, and it may not come until the Super Bowl if they get there. Maybe it's Mahomes. Maybe it's Josh Allen. Maybe it's somebody else. But do you rise up and make big throw in big spot after other quarterback has made big throw in big spot to take the lead late in the game? If it even gets to that, maybe the 49ers are going to be so good he never has to. But that's the the one thing that is wait and see for me with Brock Purdy. Does he make big throw in big spot in a playoff game? Well, I think you could say that about a lot of quarterbacks, can't you? Can't you say oh, you that can. about Justin but, Herbert? But until we know. Can't you? I, I agree. Say, I mean, I agree. You can say but, that about guys but, who were but, drafted. You can say you can say that about I, guys who were drafted in the top five, six, seven. Can you say it about Tua? Yes. Can you say it about Josh? Uh, uh, you know, Josh Allen. Even he's made some, but let's see him do it in the Super Bowl. I understand what you're saying, but Mike, my whole thing is my my feeling about Brock Purdy is very simple. He is being judged on automatic skepticism because he was the last pick in the draft. That's it. Automatic skepticism. Even though in the first 11 games he started and played at least three quarters in those games, or I'm sorry, not started, but played at least three quarters in the games that he hasn't lost a game yet. And and I'm just saying, 
I'm just saying, in the immortal words of Laura King, I'm just saying that I think he is judged on a different level and a different standard is used to judge Brock Purdy than it is to judge other starting quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't like it. Well, but I I understand it. He was the last guy taken in the draft, so there's automatically going to be built in skepticism no matter where he is. He was the third guy on the depth chart last year when he finally got his chance, and there's a sense that he's just the guy who is holding together a machine that runs perfectly well regardless of what he does. At some point, though, you have to make that throw like Garoppolo didn't, like Jared Goff didn't in Super Bowl 53. There are plenty of guys that fail, and there are plenty of guys that pass. We haven't seen which guy Purdy is. That's all to be determined. And when you're a 49ers fan who has to wonder on what ancient burial ground did they build Levi's Stadium and desecrate and and create some, you know, curse that is <laughs> fallen over the team that they're destined to get to get close and never finish. That's what they've been since 2019. 2020 was wasted well, because of injuries, but but they've been 21, 22. They keep knocking on the door and they can't get it in. It comes back to quarterback. So I understand why people are nervous. I understand why people are taking a wait and see approach. And I'll say this also, Peter. I think this is part of it. You may disagree with me, and that's fine. Wouldn't be the first time. I think when you think of a franchise quarterback, you think of Joe Montana, Dan Marino, right? Brock Purdy is just kind of a weird name. It doesn't sound like a franchise quarterback name. Purdy's a little too close to Turdy. I just think people have a hard time looking at that name and saying that's a franchise quarterback. I know when I first saw that name. That easily is the most ridiculous point you've ever made. That's easily the most ridiculous point you've ever made. Yes. That is. Yes. That's absurd. That's one of the silliest things I've ever I guarantee you. I guarantee you I'm not the only person. That that's like, well, that's not a quarterback name when he first landed on the radar screen last year. I'm just I'm he's got it's all factors combined. We're just it's it makes people inclined to say, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see. Can he stay healthy? Let's wait and see. Can he make big throw and big spot? Let's wait and see. And it's all, I think, a direct result of what happened last year. Everything was moving in the right direction and he got injured through no fault of his own. But it still happened. So. Uh, Brock Purdy. I, I guess I would, uh, not I would make this point. I'll, I'll, I'll make this point, okay? If Joe Montana's name was Joe effing horse crap, he still would have been one of the greatest saying. quarterbacks of all time. Well, That's all I can say. He would have made the, all right? if Brock Purdy's he made name, the name is, is Joe Brock horse crap Cole, he will be pretty <laughs> darn good. I... You know, there have been studies about, you know, like the whole vibe. You you know what it is, Mike? Here's the thing. You have too much time to think. You have too much time to think. Sometimes you (laughs) want to just get away and go watch Leave it to Beaver reruns and watch Gilligan's Island reruns. You ought to watch Perry Mason on Prime Video. Hey, Uh, hey, that's one of my big things. Have you ever seen a good quarterback? (laughs) Have you ever seen a good quarterback named Lumpy? Not me. I just think it's part of the overall quarterback vibe. There hasn't been a good quarterback named Lumpy because there hasn't been a quarterback (laughs) named Lumpy. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because he's never made it to the NFL because he never got past high school. He never got on the field in high school because his name was Lumpy. Hey, I got a quiz for you. Mike, I I got a quiz for you. Go ahead. 
I got a quiz for uh, you. You ready? What was the name of the actor who played Lumpy Rutherford on Leave It to Beaver? Oh, God. I would have never remembered his last name. I, I do not know the okay. name of the guy who played Lumpy You're going to love this. His name was Frank Bank. <laughs> I now, that's always a name that. that I can get I behind. I used to watch the credits. That's a Frank name I Bank. can get behind. <laughs> I, I will say this before we move on. And I appreciate the fact that we disagree on this. All I know is when I first saw the name that he was entering the fray, I thought that doesn't sound like a quarterback name. And and I think other people, if I react to that that way, that was my human reaction. Man, that doesn't sound like a quarterback name. I think others do the same. And it factors into just the overall question, is this guy the guy that the 49ers have been waiting for. Is this the guy who makes it factors in the overall question in the Florio, in the Florio Wikipedia page. I'm not the only one like me. I'm not the only one like me. I I don't know. You tell me anybody who legitimately says, I don't like that as a quarterback. Doesn't sound like a quarterback name. Factor in what I think of him as a player. I, that's the most I, absurd you gotta thing overcome. I've ever heard. You got to uh, well, I got more overcome for you. We, we got a long name. show, Jeez. so I got we got we got another ninety minutes, King. Not all of us are called King. Not all of us get to walk around with the moniker oh, of yeah. King. So uh, anyway, um, okay, let's let's pivot to something I think we will agree on. In the first half, there was a little bit of a scuffle, a little bit of a scrum, a little bit of a brouhaha, and we saw the video of what went down trent williams got sufficiently angered by something to curl his fist up into a ball and punch someone in the helmet now i still question the wisdom of punching someone in a helmet because you know it's a helmet but that and that's not a flop either that was the reaction to being punched in the face mask by trent williams right remember we he did that to I think it was open hand, but he did to Richard Sherman after a playoff game years ago. The 2012 Washington-Seattle playoff game got in his face and gave him a big whack. Maybe we can find that gift before we go to break. But you're supposed to get ejected for punching someone. And they've got this great procedure now, Peter, and we've seen it fail twice this week. Monday night, when Deshaun Watson shoves an official away from him as the official is trying to push him back from a potential fight with the Steelers player, or basically the entire Steelers sideline, as we see that happen, and the league office does not tell the referee that night, it checked number four for Cleveland. We saw it again last night. Trent Williams punches a guy in the face. They don't eject him. And unlike Monday night when there was no pool report for Walt Anderson to explain why they didn't eject Deshaun Watson, we got word salad last night from Walt Anderson saying... And you're going to have a hard time reading that. But the bottom line is they didn't see the punch clearly enough. They couldn't tell with 100% certainty there was a punch. What more do you need? Does it need to be like Rock'em Sock'em Robots where you punch him in the right spot and his head flies up five feet? Like, what do you need to see a guy punch someone in the face and the head jerk back? What else would it have to be to get a guy ejected, Peter? I don't know. When I saw that on replay last night, I just kept saying to myself, isn't that an ejectable offense? 
And my feeling is this is why they have created an open line of communication from New York to the field. And, you know, to me, I think it's, you've got to be 100%. Now, the Deshaun Watson one, I think that definitely was an ejectable offense, but it, I, didn't, I didn't view it as as bad as what happened last night. I do think that Deshaun Watson should not put his hands on an official, but it struck me, I don't know why it did, Mike. It struck me sort of heat of the moment, kind of I need to make my point, kind of get out of the way, but it wasn't like he shoved an official because you're an idiot. Hey, he just, time out. You know, doesn't matter. Yeah, Doesn't matter. Ahead. You're uh, uh, arguing yeah, with me. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, if we're gonna if we're gonna I disagree, yeah. if we're gonna disagree, go look at the item from the athletic. Kalen Kaler, who got started with you at the MMQB, go look at the clips that she put in there of other situations. It's a different standard. You don't have to punch the official in the face to get ejected. You lay hands on official, you're out. Doesn't matter whether you're trying to actually physically engage with the official. The, the official is pushing you away, and you shove the official. You, you, you can't touch the official. Others yeah. have been ejected for less than what Deshaun Watson did. It's a different standard for touching an official. And here's my tinfoil hat theory, Peter. Here's another chance for you to call me stupid. I don't think they want to take quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks, out of these standalone primetime games because of the impact of losing the starting quarterback on the ratings for the games. And last year, Troy Vincent sat at the ESPN desk on Sunday morning, and explained that they throw flags for roughing the passer willy-nilly in order to keep quarterbacks in the game because the highest-rated TV shows are NFL games, and if we start having no quarterbacks because they're all injured by these hits, people aren't going to watch. And last night, I think it extended to the guys who protect the quarterbacks because if Trent Williams is ejected from this game, now we got to worry about Brock Purdy getting hit and possibly getting hurt. And we got to keep the starting quarterbacks healthy to keep the numbers big, especially third. I don't think that's a you know. hat thing at all. I don't. I don't. Well, think, I, don't I think, think that's, that's why Trent Williams wasn't ejected. Yeah, I think he Maybe. wasn't ejected because he's a left Maybe. tackle, primarily responsible for keeping Brock Purdy from having another surgery that they will graphically depict on a future Thursday night game while I'm eating chicken wings. Yeah, I, I, I think that that is valid. I think it really is valid. I guess I don't know that the, the the Deshaun Watson one. I would have felt like, oh come on. I, I and I understand. I guess if it's a hard and fast, absolute total, you cannot touch one thread of the fabric on an official. Okay, toss them out. But it would have felt, it, in my opinion, anyway, it would have felt cheap. Well, but Peter. The officials are out there with no pads, no helmets. They're all middle-aged or older. I, I, I'd, I'd like to think that if I'm an official, that's the standard that will apply. Whatever you guys do to each other, just understand, if you touch any of us, you're going to the showers. And that's the standard. I've watched the videos that Kalen Kaler added to that article at The Athletic. Lesser contact with officials has gotten guys ejected. And, the, and again... Here's what the NFL does. They issue this gaslighting word salad that conflicts with what we see. And we're supposed to say, okay, they're right. Our eyes are wrong. 
what we saw was wrong. The explanation they gave after the Deshaun Watson thing was baloney in comparison to what we saw. This wasn't some incidental contact as, you know, like if if Deshaun is is fighting with the Steelers player, they're pushing and shoving and he puts his arm back and accidentally, you know, hits the official who's trying to break it up. That wasn't it. That's the impression they tried to create. Like, hey, you know, the officials are trying to restore order and sometimes there's incidental contact. The official was pushing Deshaun Watson, and he shoved the official away from him so he could get to the guy the official was trying to push him away from. Ejectable. Last night, punched to the face. Ejectable. And they issued this bullcrap on the back end that we're just supposed to accept. I'm the, the full, it's laughable. The Walter Anderson pool report is laughable. What do you mean you're not 100% sure he punched him? What more do you need to see to be 100% sure that he punched the guy in the face. I can't believe it. I can't argue with you on Trent Williams, and I suppose I can't argue with you on Deshaun Watson either. I just felt like it was heat of the moment, get out of the way. I don't know. Uh, I and happened. I, I get it. I, I understand. control yourself. I understand, but, yeah. I, I mean... But I did feel, hey, and you know Frank what? Williams hey, should have been ejected, Peter. Yeah. Actually, Monday night, if they had had to bring in Dorian Thompson Robinson, the way Deshaun Watson was playing, it might have been a good thing for the Browns. Would have been better have for that him. game. By the time, <laughs> maybe it would. Maybe, maybe the Browns Can should be the ones. We spend a half hour talking Deshaun about Deshaun Watson. Watson. Ejected. I mean, Mike, uh, how about uh, how about now? How about this? Look, and we won't get into this right now. Maybe later, but but this thought has occurred to me. Eight games is half of a football season, okay? You need maybe eight and a half now. But eight games is half of a football season. What about Deshaun Watson in his half of a football season since he has returned? Gives you any faith that he's going to turn this around? Nothing yet. Now, I'm not saying he won't turn it around. What I am saying is the Cleveland Browns has to take you know, it, it has to take the Haslam's and Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski a little bit longer to fall asleep than they would like these days because there's no way they're not wondering if they bought damaged goods. It, they have to be wondering that. At a certain point, you are who you are, and he's not the guy that he was back in 2020 when he had 4,800 passing yards, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and he was able to run the ball, weave through traffic, keep defenses honest that way. He can't run away from pressure now. He's just not the same guy that he was. Through everything that's happened, much of it through his own fault, the off-field issues, he just seems different. He has a different demeanor. He's got a different vibe. He's not the guy that he was 2017, 18, 19, and 20 for the Houston Texans. I agree with you completely, and we may have a spot later in the show where we can highlight that point as it relates to what we think the Browns will do this weekend, short week, and in come the Tennessee Titans as the Browns went from 1-0 to 1-1 and are trying to get to the right side of 500. Let's go ahead and take a break, though. Bad news for one of the best teams in football yesterday, but I think on the way out, we have something that, I don't know, maybe Walt Henderson would say he's not 100% sure it was a slap to the face. Do we have? There it is. Wait, wait, there it is. There it is. Careful. Careful, Richard. You don't know who you're dealing with. You're dealing with Trent Williams, and you never Oh, I'd say, I'd say that's ejectable. I would, I don't know. Maybe Walt Anderson wouldn't, but I would. Let's take a break. More PFT Live right after this. 